Hello everyone, it is Joey Hamp, and we are here with a very special episode 5 of the Tweener Podcast, which is now on iTunes, by the way. Um, it is a college tennis episode. Zach, tell the folks. Alright, we have a very special interview coming right up with Bobby Knight of College Tennis Today. Uh, we talk about a lot of really good stuff about, you know, the world of college tennis. So, um, that should be fun. Yeah, well, to, to make it a little more enticing for you guys, because uh, Zach didn't do a very good job selling that, did he? Uh, Bobby Knight is a, uh, a journalist and sort of blogger who's covering college tennis. He probably covers or, you know, is following more teams than anybody that I've ever seen in college tennis. And he, uh, we talk about the National Indoors, which just finished up last week. And then we talk about sort of the sport as a whole. And, uh, yeah, so what are we going to do? What are, but we got, we got to cover some other aspects first. Yes, we do. Well, as always, you know, our podcast is sponsored by Stick It Wear. Yep, and we are, we're going to announce our, our, our second challenge winner. That's correct. And, um, as always, we're going to start off with our tweener of the week. Joey, it's your pick this week. What do we got? So, our only non- college tennis sort of portion of the show. Um, there's been plenty of tweeners, tweeners in college tennis, but there's unfortunately not a lot of video yeah. of them. So I'm going to go with uh, uh, staying on the on the men's tour, um, and we're going to talk about a winner this week, Nick Kyrgios, who was in the first episode, um, but Nick just won the title in Marseille this week, beat Gasquet, Burdich, and Chilich all in straight sets to win his first ATP World Tour title. Um, I'm going to throw it back to the 2015 French Open where he was playing Andy Murray. Uh, he played Murray in like three of the slams last year. And he hits a tweener lob. It wasn't a winner, but it was, um, you know, Murray tried to throw a lob back up, but was in a very tough position. It was a great lob, um, great tweener. Tweener lob. Yeah, he actually hit like top spin on yeah. the shot, so it was pretty impressive. You know, tweener lobs aren't exactly my favorite. I know. But um, I, think it, I think it's deserving. Yeah. All right. Um, so we'll now... Send it over and, and to the start of our interview with Bobby Knight, which we recorded just a couple days ago. And uh, we'll see you on the flip side. Hello, everybody. This is Joey. I'm here, Joey, and I'm joined by Zach today. Yes. And we are here with Bobby Knight um, from College Tennis Today. Bobby, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, everybody. I'm uh, Bobby Knight, college tennis today. Live down in uh, St. Louis, and a huge, uh, huge college tennis fan. And I love writing about it. So, um, just a, a couple more introductory questions. I know. Uh, I think on Twitter, at least, uh, a lot of people have found your work over. The, I would say the last year, two years. Um, what really got you into college tennis, or um, you know, what got you into the media side of college tennis? Yeah, I guess uh, I went to Georgia back in the late '90s. So back when, back then, Georgia used to host just about every year so I you know just as a student I went all the time and then uh you know kind of played growing up not you know more recreationally not really as much uh you know on teams or anything just with my, my dad and my brothers but uh I guess it was around about mid mid 2000s I kind of got back in it I'd been working for a little bit and uh you know Isner was at Georgia we were number one and doing great so I kind of you know started following a lot more about the mid 2000s and kind of just went on from there and uh but uh, the media, I don't know, I've just always kind of like writing about things, and then uh, you know, there wasn't really too many places to find stuff, so yeah. I, I, I kind of started off on, you know, message boards. Tennis Warehouse has, has a pretty good uh, 
college tennis board. I think they started in late two thousands. So I used to, you know, write on there and I started organizing stuff. And then the biggest thing for me was kind of, you know, trying to follow the matches. There was never, uh, you know, you could go to each individual page to find a live scoring link for here and there, but there wasn't any place to find them all together. So I, I, it's probably about four years ago, I kind of started rounding all those up and then just put them on the site for everybody else to like or to look at. And then uh, made it easier for me to follow, made it easier for everybody else to follow. And then, uh, I don't know, it was about maybe three years ago, I started doing some work for College Tennis Online, which has been around for, for quite a while. We're not doing as much anymore, yep. but uh, just, I just did most of the stuff for free just to kind of help grow the, the site and kind of help grow the, the community. Cause, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that love College Tennis. There's just not anywhere to get your information. Hmm. So I just kind of started going from there. And then um, I guess it was about uh, maybe a year, a little over a year ago, when, when the whole no ad stuff was going on and yep. there wasn't as much being written about college tennis, uh, it was actually Mandy Diaz has sent me a message through Twitter wanted to know if I was uh, interested in starting something up. I said, uh, uh, I hadn't really thought of it before, but uh, it'd be interesting. I'll say, I, I can't promise if it's going to be any good or not, but I'll give it a try. And then kind of went from there. I started off just doing the first couple days. It was, uh, you know, a lot of scoring links here. It's kind of like I was doing on some other sites. And then, uh, that same weekend, I went over to Champaign, which is about two and a half hours away, and saw uh, North Carolina and Illinois play. It was a, you know, came down to a final set between uh, third set tiebreaker between uh, Gosey and, and Braden Schnur, and yeah. kind of wrote about it the next day. And then before you know it, you know, putting a video here, and then you know, preview this. And I'm always like, you know, predicting stuff, whether it's right or wrong. It's it's it's, it's fun. People yeah. like to read how, what what you think and <laughs> who you think is going to win. Doesn't really matter if you get it right or wrong. People just you know they want to know. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's kind of you know it's just kind of grown over the last year and it's uh, it's, it's been an interesting ride a lot of work a lot of hard work but uh, you know hey it's uh, keeps it interesting for me and everybody else. Yeah. So what would you say is sort of um, this? Obviously, I think um, you know looking at the American players right now that are out of college, we have a lot of successful players. But also inside of college, we have guys who are winning futures titles, who are going deep in challengers. Um, what would you sort of say about? the depth of college tennis now compared to maybe what it was 10 years ago. Yeah, I'd say it's, it definitely seems to be stronger. I mean, you got a guy like what was it, Henrik Warsham from Virginia. Wasn't even a, a starter last year. He wins a, you know, a future this year before the, before the season started during the fall. Yep. You know, I don't, I don't remember seeing that kind of thing back then. I think there's, it's, it's, you know, it seems like there's more places. I know there's less event, big time events in the U S but I want to say from a future standpoint, it seems like there's just as many events now, if not more than there used to be. So there's a lot more opportunities for these guys to, to get out there and play. And yeah, it, it does seem like they're, the guys are putting up a lot more results. And, you know, there's still some guys that are, you know, are just going the pro route. But then you've got the, you know, the Alex Rabikoffs of the world that are still playing college tennis. And Noah Rubin was here for a year and, you know, was so close to win the NCAAs. And, you know, he's doing top 250 already. So the, I mean, there's a ton of guys out there. A ton of guys. Um, I got to ask. Uh, you know, between the matches that you're at and the matches that you also watch, whether it's, you know, live streaming <clears throat> or whenever you, um, you know, start writing and watching the events and tournaments and individual matches as well, you know, you tend to get a lot of, you know, I'm guessing there's a pretty decent fan base for the high-level matches. What keeps uh, college tennis relevant in, you know, most universities, do you think? Yeah, I think it's probably, um, I mean, the people that played there in the past, maybe the, the casual casual tennis fan i mean it's you know most don't charge any ticket prices for it so it's just yeah. a lot of its donations and you know maybe the, the, the bigger donors have played and gone on to do well in business to give back but uh i guess a lot of it's in the, the community involvement that 
seems like the teams are really getting out there and, and hustling with the in the community, maybe even within the school, working uh, in the fraternities and, and whatnot. So it's it seems like a lot of it's driven by the coach and the team. If you know, there's only so much the school can do. It's it's kind of up to the players to put themselves out there and and, and make it work. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw I saw Brian Bolin actually just wrote about that. Talked he talked he said talked about how big the community was for the Virginia team there. Yeah, and. Uh, so yeah, while we're talking there, why don't we why don't we transition over to last weekend's um, national indoors yeah. first big team tournament of the year, um, where North Carolina came back from a, a pretty large deficit to defeat Virginia, the number one team in the nation, reigning national champ. Um, why don't you Why don't you I know you were following it pretty closely. I was able to follow a little bit, but I I, got, I left. I had to go to class when they were down two zero. They had lost five first sets. Why don't you just recap a little bit? what that championship match was like. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, one of those matches where you figured if they don't win the doubles, you know, they're not beating Virginia four times in singles. <laughs> That's what everybody kind of assumes. And, uh, you know, dropped the doubles point pretty quickly, about a half hour. And, you know, singles, they kind of got down pretty big everywhere. I mean, most of the sets weren't, weren't too close. I think uh, Shane, with Ryan Shane was maybe 6-2 in the first. And Tyson, one of, one of maybe 6-2 or 6-3. It seemed the guys were all cruising. I think the big turnaround for, for Carolina was was down at six. They had uh, Wersholm, you know, yeah. undefeated, and, and he gets uh, rolled by a new Canale, a, a fellow freshman. Or Canale's a freshman, Wersholm's a sophomore, but beats him two and two. That was one of those matches that, you know, everybody's like, wow, where'd that come from? It seemed, seemed like that was one of the things that kind of sparked him a little bit. And they, they got the quick win there, and then it just seemed like it was a point here, point there. I don't think Ryan Shane was quite serving as good as he normally could. It seemed like he was having trouble with his first serve, and Schnur was able to stay it in a little bit better. And then, you know, Ronnie Schneider kept battling down there at number two, and he just, you know, a lot of deciding points. It seemed like it was that was what was turning the tide a lot of these things. And then um, even Brett Clark, he was getting buried in the first set to Alta Morano, and he comes charging back in the second. The next thing you know, he's up in the third, and they just kind of kind of kept chipping away for the most part. It just you know, it just seemed like every time you turn around, it was a deciding point. As the match went on, North Carolina was was winning a lot more of them, and they were losing. So it's uh, kind of how it turned for the most part. Yeah. Um, so for for those, I, I mean, I think some of the people who follow this podcast follow college tennis, but the majority of our listeners are are more uh, on a, on the higher level pro. Um, so just give a little bit of perspective on what level the national indoors tournament means compared to, cause it's not the national championship, but it's, right, yeah. you know, it, it, all the players know it's a big tournament. So, you know, what would you say that level of tournament is for the college guys? Yeah. I mean, the NCAA is going to be a 10. I'd, I'd say it's gotta be a seven or eight. It, it's got, gotta be pretty high up there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there's always kind of the perception where it's, you know, the indoor teams do well there where the, the you know, the California teams, the Florida teams, the Southeast teams, the, the ones that spend most of the time outdoors sometimes they maybe don't pay as attention much attention to it but you know they participate but you know they don't practice it in all year so they're not as good at it but uh, you can just kind of see that more on the women's side there was uh i want to say half of the top 15 didn't even play in it they just decided to play their own individual matches so i'd say on the men's side it's a little bit more important i'd say on the women's side it seems like on one to ten scale maybe maybe a five is, is how some of them value it at least that's what all those schools skipping would, would tell me, but yeah. uh, on, the, on the inside, it's probably a, it's an early season, you know, litmus test. It's like, how are we doing? And then uh, once we get outdoors, that's what you know everybody's coming for the NCAs. But I'd say it's, it's still a biggie. I mean, for a team team after the NCAs, there's nothing bigger than the, the indoors. So yeah. it's, it's big. Yeah. So let's yeah. talk about um, sort of the, the the I know that you know the rankings come out on Wednesdays. 
Um, the, the sort of, let's talk about the landscape going forward. Uh, obviously, Virginia was at one. Now, now North Carolina is at is at that number one spot. Um, but there's, I would say, certainly with you know, TCU is extremely talented. There's certainly, you know, what do you th- who do you think the teams are that that you know is there is there five, ten? How many teams can really compete for that national championship? I'm thinking probably five or six. I mean, you got maybe a little bit seven. I think you still got to consider Virginia the favorite. I mean, they're they're so so deep and so strong, and you know, it's possible to lose a match here and there, but uh, they're up there. You got to put North Carolina up there now. I mean, that's that kind of came out of nowhere, but I mean, when you beat all the teams they beat, they got to be considered a contender. TCU, very talented, top to bottom. They're up there. Um, you know, Oklahoma. Once they get Andrew Harris back, I think they're going to be a little bit better. But they've kind of been struggling. A lot of the guys are playing out of spots, and even even Axel Alvarez up at number one, he was unbeaten or not unbeaten, but almost unbeatable last year. He's, yeah. he's really struggled early. So um, I mean, Wake Forest has come a long way. I, I'd say they're a you know quarterfinal, semifinalist team that probably could go further if they you know pick it up and win the right courts. Uh, UCLA. I mean, UCLA was. You know, they're going to be a strong outdoor team, but they've uh, they've got a strong top three, good top four. I mean, a lot of depth on their team. I mean, you know, USC has been good in the past. I think they're a little down this year. Probably uh, Georgia, maybe a little bit off the beat, and Texas A&M. Probably uh, they're close, but I don't know if I'd consider them a, a serious contender. But uh, you know, one of those teams that's going to make a quarterfinal, probably potentially a semifinal with the right draw. But um, yeah, and what, what do you what do you think? Because obviously, like you said. With the uh, with the new rules and no ad, I know I, I've talked to my, our listeners a little bit about this. But when the when the when the personally when the ad was or when the rule was um, first put in place, uh, as somebody who had seen college tennis for a couple of years and had played uh, with ad, um, I was a I was like completely against it to be honest. Um, yeah. And then you know uh, for those that don't know, Zach and I both work on the for the Cornell men's tennis team yeah. on the media marketing, and after I would say halfway through last season. I was amazed. Like I was loving it. Uh, it was incredibly exciting. And and there were there were matches where we lost, where it was like you know we, we were getting screwed on these doubles points. But at the same time, like the fans that were there did seem like they were more engaged. And it was something that I didn't believe was going to happen. But what what you know what would you say has been? We're you know a year and a half later. We're almost two years from when it started. What is that perception of the no ad rule? Um, I think I think it's lessening. I mean this this year the NCAA tournament's going to be no ad for the first time in I don't know how long. So I think that was, you know, them getting on board. I think everybody realizes well, there's there's, no, there's really no reason to, reason to fight it anymore. It's it's here. Uh, I think it's yeah. You don't hear quite as many people bashing it anymore. I mean, it's uh, you know, the traditionalists aren't going to like it. You know, the the guys that play the sport probably don't quite get it. But it's uh, I know the whole purpose of it was to try to speed up the matches to get them to where you know if somebody wants to show a match on TV, they they know it's going to fit in a two and a half to three hour window and. I think that's the whole driving force. You know, there's a lot of talk about student welfare and this and that. I mean, you know, these guys are 18 to 20 year old. They they they're, they're fit. They'll play for four hours if you, if you put them out there. Yeah. But um, you know, it's I think the, the whole point is to try to eventually get it on TV or at least maybe stream through a certain network or whatever. But uh, I think it's a little bit a lot more accepting. I mean, like I said, it is it is pretty exciting. I mean. Yeah, it seems like the, there's no such thing as a safe lead anymore. You can be love 40 down, and, and it doesn't seem like that big a deal. You know, the guy gives you a free point here, it's 15-40, then you know, another point. Before you know it, it's 40 all, and it's like I think the pressure is more on the person that's ahead half the time. They don't want to, they don't want to get to the deciding point because yeah. who knows what can happen there. You know, so yeah, I don't know, Zach. What do you think? Because 
Um, I know I, our guys at Cornell, when, it, when, when the rule was first coming out, they were, uh, just like all, almost all the other players, they were, they were talking about how the, the, it was going to make it so the better player lost more often. And, you know, it was going to be like, you know, there would be, obviously with neck let court aces, there was going to be, I don't know, yeah. as we saw Henrik Roslam hit a let court yeah. ace to clinch yeah. a match. Uh, you know, they, they had those same thoughts. And now, what do you think, Zach? I mean, we go to the matches, and the guys, they feed yeah. off the deuce points. You know, when they there's do. a deuce point, everybody, you know, you yell out, deuce point on three, deuce point on six. I, what do you think, Zach? I, I feel yeah. like they just feed off of it now. They, they, they do. The players do. I think the fans do. It, it just helps everybody get a lot more engaged, I think. Yeah, and, and what do you and think? It's, I also just think a lot, it's a lot more exciting. And yeah. the guys, obviously, because, I mean, obviously, like you said, from Love 40, you take <clears> one point off. and yeah. You can't. Yeah, it's uh, so yeah, it's interesting. You see, you know, sometimes I was watching. I think it was the Virginia match. I think uh, Shane went for just a huge two two huge first serves, missed them both by a mile. And next thing you know, it's deciding point. He gets broke. Yeah, I mean, it's, exactly. it's like that whole perception of well, I, I got a freebie here. You know, that it's not there anymore. If you don't, yeah. if you're not mentally in every point and don't go for it every point, before you know it, you're dropping, you're breaking serve. You know, it's yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and the one big the one big concern I had was these guys do want to go pro, and so I felt like. Well, look, if they're playing no ad and then they got to go play futures where they play ad, they're going to struggle. But it seems to me like these guys are doing pretty well. I mean, like you said, yeah. Ruben yeah. winning main draw matches. Uh, we were some six at Virginia winning futures. Shane doing well in futures. So well, there was a, I'm uh, not Alex, Alex Vukic from uh, Illinois. Well, yeah, had Vukic had a, winning in Australia. Before he came back to school, I mean, yeah. it's. So it seems like, I mean, if you're, if you're good, you're good, you know? It's, yeah. I think it's you know. fair, too, that it'll help your game because, you know, it's going to help you out on the in the pressure situations. Yeah. Don't you know? Teaches you don't don't give points away. You know, yeah. it's like well, there's no reason to go for two first serves and don't do it. Get your serve in. Yeah. So it's uh. So what? So let's let's okay. That, that was good. Um, how about one more about sort of your thoughts on the on the season going forward? What do you who do you see? Or is a few teams not in the top? Let's say fifteen. Um, that uh, not necessarily are gonna you know make a quarterfinal or a semifinal, but. Are a few teams that you see as you know having a lot of talent or a lot of potential that to, to you know to maybe maybe make some noise in the coming months? There's a couple that are you know ranked a little bit lower than I thought they would be out, out west. You got Cal and Stanford. Both of them are you know really strong top six. Cal kind of had the unfortunate uh, circumstances where they were supposed to compete at the the Duke Regional for the kickoff weekend, and it got uh, you know all the snow down there and they couldn't make it in. Yeah, it was I thought they would win, so you know they they end up. Lose, missing out on you know getting some some rank wins and then competing with the big boys and you know they turn around and beat TCU a couple weeks ago so they're, they're one of those teams I think they're ranked eight, 18 now I think they're a top 10 team uh, very talented Stanford you know it seems like they've got a lot of good good quality guys down there it's just a matter of whether they're going to win the four three matches or lose the four three matches so I, I, I you know if they're one of those teams that they can host the, if they can somehow host the regional I think they can make the final 16 maybe even a a quarterfinal if everything comes together. A lot of, a lot of youth on their team too. Um, how, about, how about how about a team outside the top fifty? Who, what's one team outside the top fifty? People aren't <laughs> talking about that is a is a good team. Who's on there? Number sixty with that Cornell and <laughs> <laughs> No, it's uh, uh, let's see. I mean, I know like they're inside the top fifty, but like Oregon, they're they're number thirty seven. You know, they're, they're one of those teams. They haven't played too many people yet, but. Uh, you know, they could end up 16, 17, and 1 before the conference schedule starts. You know, they're, they're, they're probably not going to, you know, make it to the final 16 site. But uh, they're one out there. And it does seem like the Ivy League teams always compete well. I mean, you got your Harvards, your Princetons. Columbia, you know, Columbia played really well, that, yeah. Uh, you, know, you, look at, you look at their roster, and, you know, there's some, there's some talent there. But, 
you know, not not the kind of talent that you would think would be knocking off guys that are top ten ITA players. So it's uh, you know, it seems like the guys work hard. They're they're smart, obviously. Yeah. So it's uh, you know. Yeah. Well. Up. Uh, you, at indoors, uh, they what? They lost like every match, like four three uh, or four two. Yeah, four, but they were three, they were playing with like A and M and and these teams oh, yeah. that are brutally close. I mean, every match was was like the four three or four two, where it came down to a uh, you know final court here and there. These are you know you know four and five, most probably five stars. You know, playing uh, the, the the tie-in blue chippers, the guys that were top hundred ITF juniors, and you know they're they're going toe to toe with them. It's, it seems like they you know they know how to compete well and. Smart, smart kids, and uh, they just get it done. It's you know, it's one of those things. You, you you wonder how they do it, but they just obviously put in the work for it. Yeah, and that's so, after they, that's after losing Winston Lynn, who was an excellent player for them. Yeah, so. and they you know bring in what was it, Sean Hadavi, and, and he's uh, what was number ten on the death chart two years ago, and he beats uh, Wayne Montgomery from Georgia, who was a I think he top, top ten. Five, yeah, yeah, something like that. Beats Renner Nish from uh, Texas A and M, who was number five eight, something like that. But I mean. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> it's one of these guys you figured that's even going to play top six this year. Not only is he playing number one, he's just you know, taking people to the woodshed. Yeah. So mm. it's, it's All right, let's uh, let's just transition. Well, we got a few more minutes. Um, I was thinking actually. Yeah, let's, talk, um, let's talk about sort of the the growth in the game because I know yeah. I know you had posted a story. I, th- I think it was on Colette's website on Zoo Tennis about sort of the things you saw um, yeah. that teams could use to go to the game. What, Zach, what, what's your question? What you know? What do you think? What, what's your question for Bobby? Well, what I was um, <clears throat> going to ask, you know, I know recently there was a new rule in the Big 12 about, um, you know, fans being able to cheer and yell and heckle. And I can't believe we haven't points. brought that up yet. <laughs> I know. I was surprised. So, I mean, what, uh, what are your thoughts on it? Do you think it's going to expand into other conferences? And is it going to make, I mean, I think it'll make a pretty big difference in the college game. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was at the, the NCAAs last year, and, I, you know, I don't know if the rule was in effect there, but, I mean, there were some, some people getting fairly rowdy i think for the most part it's, it would be the college students the, you know the, the 40 50 year old guy that's followed the game his whole life he's, he's not going to probably do that but you know, i mean i think it's it's as long as it's uh not getting too personal and you're not you know <laughs> you're not swearing at the swearing at the guy or girl or whatnot uh man if it gets more people to show up i mean that's that's ultimately what you're looking for to get, get some kind of buzz you know right or wrong but uh if you can get an extra 100 people to show up for a match hey whatever it takes do it yeah because the one match the match that got covered the most last year in college tennis was not a, a national championship match it was the baylor versus oklahoma match where <laughs> tom perot of the wall street journal headed yeah. down there and i know he was pretty impressed with, with what great, he I, saw i remember reading this article it was a great yeah, it was a great article <laughs> you guys got people got string up the top of the lungs but hey the place was packed i mean there was probably you know i think play seats a good couple thousand people yeah. hey, if that's what gets people out to show up and then i think you know the, the starting times are, are, are big too the, the people that play at two o'clock on a friday you know you're not gonna get anybody to show up at two o'clock on a friday you gotta put these things on friday night or you know saturday midday or you know you don't want to stick it on a saturday night or something but you know i think the scheduling plays a big role in that too you got you got to schedule yeah. smart yeah, it's almost like it's a you got to make it a premier event, you know that you know it's yeah. all about the college spirit. Like you know they always have their football games on Saturday afternoons, yeah. just to draw as big a crowd as possible. And if there's almost not necessarily no limits, but if there are less rules regarding the quote unquote gentleman's part of the game, mm-hmm. that I think you know they're you're gonna get a lot more rowdy fans. You're gonna get a lot more fans in general that you know generally yeah. wouldn't be going to tennis matches who would be supporting their university yeah i mean you got schools with 
30, 40, 50,000 students. If you, if you, you know, you'd like to think you could get a couple hundred to show up, you know, so it's, yeah, yeah it's a challenge. It it's a challenge that, that we, you know, we try to face. Like we're trying yeah. to get people to our matches. So, yeah. and I mean, one of the big things for us is that first impression that you make on a fan is so important. And yeah. so, you know, one of the things we're doing is we're, we're seeing how many people we're getting at the matches. We're, you know, we're trying ticketing. But we noticed last year we had a wrestling team come. And we played Princeton. It was our last match of the year. Essentially, if we had won, we were probably in the NCAA tournament. We, we lost a close one. It was 4-2. Um, but we had the band, the band was there. You know, the wrestling team was there. Cool. And so, and obviously you can't make every match, you know, that you can't hype them all up to be the best but if you can make that one experience i know i know we talk to the wrestling guys all the time now they're always coming to the matches if they don't have a, a meet themselves yeah. so i think it's right you know we you're trying to set that precedent of um you know you're going to come here and it's not going to be what you're expecting you know you're going to have a great time because if you can do that they're going to come back yeah and that's one thing you know doubles that's i think doubles is the most exciting part of it i mean you got three you can almost always see all three courts side by side at most places you know, everything's so fast and action paced, and I mean, you know, that, that, I think that doubles hooks hooks them in. And then now that they don't, they've got the short break in between singles and doubles. I think you don't see the people leaving like they used to. Most people, and before you turn around, you know, you, you go to the bathroom. Next thing you know, they're already halfway through the first game of a, of a singles match. So I think that that's helped too. Yeah, you obviously want to retain the people, get them to show up, but keep them there too for the most part. Yeah. So what do you what do you? I mean, you you follow a lot of the teams, a lot of the the lower ranked teams, uh, the higher ranked teams. What do, you, what do you see? Obviously, some schools have more money to spend on their teams than others. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a challenge we face every day. Uh, yeah. What do you think are some of the, the best things that you've seen um, teams do to sort of grow awareness or grow you know grow the game by attracting fans? What are some of the best promotions or best events? Yeah, I mean, it's I think it's the basic things like, uh, like you know, to get more people engaged is having the scores available on, you know, on Twitter or... You know, a lot, a lot of schools aren't going to have the live scoring, but uh, you know, if, if people can't find out the score of the match the next day, then you know, that lose interest. So if, if you got someone there that can at least tweet out a couple of results during the match, you know, that keeps more of the people that can't show up keeps them more engaged. But uh, I mean, the free pizza stuff always is going to, you know, it's going to get people to come up. But um, I, know, I know I follow Purdue's coach on Twitter as well. He seems to do a lot of good stuff. A lot of it's community involvement, but it's uh, I know they have something with fraternities and sororities where you know. Whichever frat or sorority has the most, the highest turnout throughout the year, I think at the end of the year they get a big, you know, some kind of big prize, whether it's a huge blowout or, or something. But it's, you know, having some some kind of carrot out there, you're dangling in front of the, the different groups to, to get them to show up. I think I think that's nice. And, you know, it's, I think, you know, I've, I've been putting that article for Zoo Tennis, I think like a beer, beer garden, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a good idea. I mean, no, and, so, when, I, when I read that, I thought it was brilliant. Uh, I, mean, if you want, I mean, it's they're doing it more in college football nowadays. A lot more schools are slowly starting to go that way. It's, it's heck. First off, it's revenue. Yeah, you know, you're not giving the stuff away, but at the same point in time, if someone can can get a beer for three bucks and maybe that makes them a little more rowdy, I bet you, you know, <laughs> hey, that's uh, it's, it's stuff like that. I think you just gotta be creative, and, and for the most part, I mean, people are always gonna come for the pizza and the donuts and stuff like that. But you throw something like the beer in there and dollar beer, you know, dollar twelve ounce beer, who knows, or something, you know. That, that could that could go a long ways eventually. Yeah. So. You got any more questions for him, Zach? Um, I'm out. You? Uh, I think that's good, Bobby. How about we leave it with this? How about you? Uh, you leave us with uh, one more time for everybody. Uh, just give them your Twitter, your website, um, just so how they can connect with you. It's uh, it's college dot com is the the main site. Uh, 
I'm on the Twitter. It's uh, college. Then the you know the ten one zero. Then S. Then two D A Y. If you type my name Bobby Knight in, you you, you know you're probably not going to find me. I mean, I'm sure there's there's plenty of them out there. But uh, yeah, Google it. Uh, I don't do a whole lot on really Facebook or Instagram. I'm mainly the the Twitter guy for the most part, and then just through through the site there. But um, have a have a YouTube channel kind of linked in. So anytime I go to a match, I'll usually put my videos on there. But uh, yeah, just collegetennistoday.com is the easy way to get me. All right, I can give him the highest recommendation. Uh, if you're looking to cover the sport, if you're looking to like follow like ten matches at once, you just go to one Twitter account. Bobby's is the best. And uh, Bobby, thanks for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Yeah, and, it was uh, real nice finally meeting you too. And uh, you hopefully, you, uh, you know, you'll be tweeting more Cornell scores in the future. <laughs> I'll do my best. See you guys. So, as we mentioned uh, during the interview there with Bobby, uh, we were both working for the Cornell men's tennis team. Unfortunately, we took a tough loss yesterday at Penn yeah. State. Um, Penn State, uh, fun fact, number one player is Leonard Stokowski, uh Leo Stokowski, um, who is the brother of Sergei Stokowski. Uh All right. Yeah, so um, great interview with Bobby. Very, very knowledgeable. Um, and I think... Uh, so what we want to talk about now is just how can we explain to the people at home what the level of an atmosphere and, like I said, level of play of college tennis is really like? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, it's something unlike anything anybody's ever seen in the world of tennis, I think, is Division One tennis. Well, yeah. I mean, you have to be careful with that. It's been around for a long time, and now certainly it's changed a little bit, but... Um, I just want to stress that, you know, let's say the, the 50th ranked team in the country. It's a good team. Very good. But their number six player would absolutely destroy, like, any of, like, everybody. Anybody that, like, anybody that you think is a good tennis player. They would just everybody. destroy them. Like... No, I'm serious. Like these guys that are playing deep in the lineup can can play in futures and can play like can would be easy hitting partners for yeah. pros, and they do. Some of them do do that. Yeah. Um. So it's hard to explain. Like you know, even the bottom. Like I think some of the most entertaining matches are oftentimes at four, five, even six. Um. Just these guys are just grinding and battling. And uh, now it's not to say that all college tennis is great. I mean, we played Zach and I played Division three tennis. Yeah. It was. That was. Uh... It wasn't very good. Like, like we had fun doing it. But the level is not high. I mean, we would be the first people to tell you that. Exactly. It, I mean, when we played, it was the, the, the quality isn't anything compared to what you'll see. And, in and let's be clear, level, we weren't obviously. good Division three players. So Yeah. Well, that was pretty awesome. No. Um, okay. But yeah, I mean, but when you step up to that level of, you know, even lower level D1 players, these guys are really good. These guys are yeah. guys that have played for a long time in many cases you know there's not a lot of division one tennis players who just picked up tennis when they were freshmen in high school you'd be hard pressed to find any stories like that yeah these guys have played for a long time and the the atmosphere can create the parody is incredible i mean for example uh i know we were playing cornell we were playing northwestern uh, a couple weeks ago northwestern's up to about 20 in the country uh we're ranked 60 and it was extremely close yeah i mean every match but yeah. it, I mean, and it does come down to the, the better teams are better in big moments. 
but the level of points and the level of play, just the parody is incredible. Um, so if, if any of you guys are, are near a team, and there's teams all around the country, um, anywhere near a good team, uh, it's really an awesome opportunity to watch free tennis, to watch at an angle and a perspective that you would never seen if you're going to a, a big professional tournament where you're, at, where you're sitting 15 rows up. You know, you're sitting there right on the court. You're going to probably see guys hitting the ball harder than you've ever seen before. And, uh, or at least it's going to feel that way because you're right down there. And with a consistency that you've never seen at that pace. At times. Some, yeah. I mean, there is a distinct difference between the pro level and the, and the like, sort of the mid-college level. But, yeah, the, but, but the top level pros, top level college players, can be very successful pros, and they have been and are. So exactly. Um, and like we talked about, a lot of those players are pro players already. They play in professional events. Oh yeah, I mean they're 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 playing pro events whenever they get a chance. So um, yeah, I think it's uh, it, you know this episode was an opportunity. Um, I know I I had never really gotten into it. I was I was always I've always been into pro tennis. Obviously, I mean. That's why the tennis nerds started, but um, I think over the last few years, I've really grown to enjoy the sport of college tennis, and uh, I think it's a medium where um, we could really grow uh, and get a lot more people watching for you know at a better you know for free essentially. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, that's our that's our college tennis pitch. So yeah, check it out. Go. To we matches. are not getting paid to say we like college tennis. I'm not sure anybody would even believe it yeah. if we were. So, no, I mean, it's just—it's just because we love the sport, we love the game, yeah, so. and it's incredibly high level, high quality. Yeah. So, all right, uh, that's gonna finish sort of our college announcement. We gotta just do—we just gotta announce the winner of last week's Stick It Wear T-shirt. That's right. Okay, so we are here and can now announce the winner of. Edition two of the Tweener Podcast Stick It Wear t-shirt competition. Yep. And after a long delay in Rio, the god was raining, raining down on the god, the redeemer. Uh, it's a reference from Rio de Janeiro. Hopefully you guys know about that. Zach clearly doesn't. He's giving me a weird face. So. Yeah. It's a weird in Rio de Janeiro, there's a statue of, of Christ the redeemer. Oh. Okay. So he's yeah, raining I, down I, on I just that. don't know about these kind of things. And uh, so, uh, yeah. Uh, Pablo Cuevas finally got the title, and because of that, we have a winner. We do have a winner. It's official. Um, congratulations to Alyssa, who chose Pablo Cuevas to win the most matches. Uh, his other two, or her other two picks, excuse me, were Juan Monaco and John Isner, who failed to win a match, but because Cuevas went the distance. That is five victories for him. Coming in a very close second place was Julius Lau, who had five wins as well, but the tiebreaker goes to um, Alyssa because she had the winner of the tournament. Exactly. So congratulations to Alyssa. Hopefully we'll uh, we'll be in contact with you soon. You're getting the man t-shirt. It's out on the site if you want to get an early look at it. And, uh, yep, Um, because we had to put this one out so late, we're unable to do... A competition for Acapulco and Dubai, but um, we want to make sure you guys have enough time to enter picks. So uh, we're going to be back at it for Indian Wells in about a week and a half. Yep. And uh, but we're going to have an episode out next week. Yeah, and of then course. We'll, and then we'll have one out probably on Thursday or Friday um, for Indian yeah. Wells, and then also for Miami. So um, yeah, that's uh, that's going to be it for episode five of the Tweener Podcast. 
Of course, don't be afraid uh, to reach out to us on Twitter, email, comment section of the site. Uh, we love to hear from you guys. Uh, the podcast is now on iTunes, which hopefully you've known. So you can subscribe and leave a review. It really helps us out because uh, hopefully you guys want our podcast showing up first when the tennis podcasts go there. So Exactly, because we're the best. Uh, not, not yet, but we're, we're, we're working our way there. <laughs> so, um, so from the Tennis Nerds Studios in ooh, I like that. Ithaca, New York. Hopefully for not that much longer. We are signing off. <laughs> <laughs>